Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. Hello, everybody, and welcome to hey, Facebook guys. Live q and I'm your host, Tom Bilyeu, and I'm here with The Voice. Hello, everyone. Up? How you doing? Good. You ready for good. this? Good. I'm really excited. This is a good Friday, too. Nice. You feel, yeah. Oh, why are you Feeling saying Feeling good. I'm also saying that because we have our Captivate workshop, yes. and I'm super pumped about it. Yeah, so am I. It's yeah. going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be like a great exploration into the minds of like all of our teammates. And I am very excited. Yeah. Can I ask a quick question? Mm-hmm. How'd the mics get back on the inside? They were literally set up on the outside, <laughs> and now I just noticed that they're back. <laughs> Surprise! I don't know. We changed them, I guess. It is... Yeah. yeah, it is better. So, like, like, so I guess we just have to embrace that they block the TV. That's just... Just a little. I think they're okay in the frame. All right. We'll just um, own it. There yeah. it is. All right. Cool. I hope you guys are doing well mm-hmm. out there. By the way, if this feed is adding value, please do share. Yes, that yes, would be yes. Amazing. Thank you. All right. So I'll kick it off with some that came in through the Connect inbox. So this one comes from Daniel Breeze. Uh, the nerd writer said he recommends writing to become more self-aware. I've been using the five minute journal for the last few months, but what other habits can I use to get into writing things down with the goal of becoming more self-aware? How would you recommend I start small and what could I, uh, work up to? Um, well, I'm intrigued why he wants more habits around writing. If you're, I would say if the five minute journal isn't doing it, then just make it longer. I don't Mm -hmm. necessarily think that you need more habits, um, of writing. You need to figure out why you're not getting the most out of the habit that you already have. So I'm guessing that he's doing the five minute journal. Maybe he's not getting in the rhythm enough to Mm -hmm. really be able to get to the deep stuff. Cause I know when I first start writing, if I'm, which I don't journal very often in fairness, um, largely because, um, I have a slightly different strategy. So I'm still trying to get to that same end of like really clearing my mind and figuring out like what I should be focusing on. What is that quiet whispery voice inside intuition? Like what's it saying? I use meditation for that. Um, but I have done journaling before and I do find it pretty useful, but I find that the first probably five or 10 minutes is really just a warm up, and you're getting yourself in the process of thinking a thought and then writing something down. And then there is something sort of vaguely meditative about the act of writing. Um, like for instance, I would never try to do that with, uh, voice memos. I find yeah. that that like it, just it the like rhythm, the it. way you have to talk to get the voice memo to work properly doesn't work quite right. Um, and I guess I'm actually thinking speak to type versus a true voice memo, which I would never want to go back and listen to and write down anyway. So I would never use that strategy. <laughs> um, 
so I would say try just doing it longer so that you get yeah. past that sort of warm up phase and get into something where you're really getting into the depths of, um, you're not really getting into the depths of the subconscious, but you're giving your subconscious time to like really push the things up into your conscious mind. And that's one of the reasons that I, I like actually writing um, because the amount of time that it takes me to think to type um, leaves enough time for my mind to also continue processing. So mm -hmm. I'm always like a little bit ahead of what I'm writing, which if you read back something that I write that I haven't proofread, you'll notice that I miss words every now and then because my mind is like already yeah. past that. And so part of me thinks I've already written it because I'm on to the next bit. And I find that that slight gap between I can think faster than I can type gives me room to come up with that next idea. But my body is sort of taken care of, as it were. Um, another strategy, this isn't the same, but just as I'm, I'm talking through, other things that put me in that same state. So obviously straight meditation um, and then driving. So, and, but driving in a straight line. So what I used to do was, um, this was back on in the, the day. No, I would sort of, I guess. I would go to the one, the California one, which is the coastal highway. Mm, okay. So it's literally a straight shot until you decide to turn around. It will take you all the way to San Francisco. Yeah. So there are no turns, nothing. And I would just drive <laughs> until I felt like if I don't turn around now, you'll end up be, in San Francisco. Yeah, I'm going to be gone for a very long time. <laughs> and this was back in my night owl days. So there was no traffic. Nice. And I would just drive and I would leave some leave at like 11 o'clock at night. And so mm -hmm. then I would just drive, drive, drive. And I, there was something so hypnotic about that just sort of straight shot. The one side of the universe is, is pitch black because it's the ocean, the ocean at night. So there's yeah. nothing. And then the right side for most of the drive is just sort of a cliff face. So mm -hmm it was kind of like existing in this tunnel. I don't know how to explain it. It was really, really yeah. interesting. And I would just get in this zone. And the only catch was I was always afraid that I was going to forget something. So, cause you're having like these really interesting ideas, but it's dangerous to, you know, in any way, Obviously. shape or form, yeah. try to mark that down. So, um, if you can get over that, and sometimes I would just pull over and take notes and then start driving again. Um, so it's not ideal. So I haven't done that in a very long time, but it's something that if people don't have a rhythm, like, you know, Daniel, if you're looking for something that's maybe more effective than writing for you, I would try something like that. Yeah. I mean, for me in terms of writing and stuff like that, journaling, um, I find that it is mostly helpful for me when it's like an intense emotion that I need to like unpack. So like the majority of the writing and journaling I used to do was whenever I'd like have some type of anger or like sadness or confusion or what did this happen? So it's almost like my way of processing out like exactly what it is I'm feeling, like trying to direct it and figure out where it is and then just like that release. Mm. So it could just be that it is more time that you need because five minutes was never really enough because the first five minutes is you kind of just like rawr, like, I don't know, like, da -da -da, right. like I'm really confused. And then it starts kind of getting into that place where you're like, okay, so like when this happened, this is how I felt. Or like you just let your thoughts wander. So it's like that stream of consciousness writing. Mm. So I always found that that probably would err more so on the side of like 15 to like 20 minutes. Um, so maybe you just need to increase your habit of writing or find a different way to kind of find that self exploration. Right. Yeah. I hear that. And so our next question comes in from Ono Nikolai Northy. He says, how would you suggest regular Joes go 
about getting high-profile endorsements for a book. For example, how could I get you to endorse mine? I've heard of typing out an endorsement and sending it to the person to sign, but I assume you get a jillion of these requests a day. Is there anything other than perseverance and or camping out on your front lawn and getting your five best friends to tell you not to call security? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Man, so here's my real answer to that question. So when somebody sends me something asking me for an endorsement, I am never going to give them an endorsement unless I've read the book. Like that would be so gross to me. So if you see my name on something, it is not because someone sent me the thing that they want me to sign off on. It's because I've actually read the book. And so I've had this in the past. And because I don't know them, I don't know if the book is going to be any good. And I'm so freakish about what I give my time to. I'm like caught. So I don't read the book because I don't know them. I don't know if their ideas are going to be worth the time. So it's this catch-22 of like the only time I've ever read a book sort of on spec was when Ryan Holiday asked me for feedback on Ego is the Enemy. And that was like, dude, Ryan is the man. So that was a, a no-brainer, a right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if somebody's sending me something cold, man, that's, that's not my world. So that doesn't feed into like my goals to read a bunch of manuscripts mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, so the answer is, You need to find somebody for whatever reason, like reading cold manuscripts is what they do. Otherwise, you need to deliver just an absurd amount of value to them first and foremost. And honestly, like my real thing is like deliver a crushing amount of value to a community of people that will clamor so loudly. Like you can imagine if 150 people wrote to me on the same day that have brought value to this community and said, look, you need to read this guy's book. Uh, that's going to give me pause. Like I'm at least going to give it a chapter, you know what I mean? And then if it captures me, I'll go on. So it's, it's not about going out and just trying to get somebody to do something cold. It's about building it brick by brick and getting people like to take it seriously because you're delivering a tsunami of value. So thinking back to when we first started inside quest and no one knew who I was literally outside of the health and fitness world. Nobody knew who I was. And even the vast majority of the people in the fitness world, they didn't know me. They just knew quest. So our whole thing was you start with the people that you can get and you do something where they walk away going, Whoa, that was spectacular. And then that word of mouth travels and you just start small and you build and you build and you build. So, um, probably like, this is exactly what I would do. Because he the the endorsement for me is meaningless. What you actually want is people to buy your book. Can we agree? Okay. So I would start a blog. Like, look at what Eric Barker did. Uh, his blog is, um, it's in Japanese, the name. So I would just say, look up Eric Barker and Barking Up the Wrong Tree. You'll get to his blog. And he did that, I think, for seven or eight years before he wrote his book. Yeah. Um, same here. So we've now been between Inside Quest and Impact Theory. We've been at this for over two and a half years. By the time the book comes out, it'll be like three and a half years. By then we'll have, I hope, well over a million people in our ecosystem. So it's like doing all of that before you release your book, that's the right answer. Because first of all, your your ideas need to be serving people, in my opinion, before you put them into book form. And the book should be the way that you get it out to just a much broader audience. Um, but you want a lot of people that are vouching for your ideas before you go to the book, so then it would be much easier to get the attention of somebody. Because if I went to somebody and said, look, I have an ecosystem of a million people, I've had all these people on the podcast, 
this is, and we record people at the end of the podcast saying what their experience was like and send them like a little thing. Here are the people that have um, come on the stage, shared ideas with me. Here are the people that are resonating with what we've been doing. And now, by the way, I would like you to take a look at this. We're going to be taken a lot more seriously. So it's about really delivering value with your stuff, not trying to rush to a book, like go out there brick by brick, do the hand-to-hand combat, build a following. Agree. And I mean, alternatively, if you just want to write a book for the sake of writing a book, if that's something that drives you, then do that. Just know that, you know, building that following is probably the best way for you to actually monetize it and build it into something huge. Yeah. I'm going to say, don't write that book. It's interesting. And I'm going to say, don't write that book, I guess, based on the assumptions I'm making about writing a book to me is really about feeding a channel and write, putting a billboard in the desert is the wrong idea. And the Mm -hmm. amount of energy it would take to write a book is so massive. Yeah. Write a book if what you want to do is teach writing a book. But if you actually want to move units, I think that in today's day and age, to write a book Getting it sold, moving units is brutally difficult. And you have people mm-hmm. like, I remember talking to Ryan Holiday when his book was about to come out and he said, every author goes through this. You write this thing, you spend all this time writing it. And then you're like, is anyone going to buy this? Like, is anyone going to care? Right. And that obstacle is so big. I think it's way, way better now. Look, there was a time when your only yeah, option that was, was the to only write option. the book. Yeah. But this is where, and it's it's interesting that perhaps you and I disagree on this, but my thing is really looking at how are you going to be delivering that long tail value, um, spend the time sharpening your ideas long before you do something that's just sort of internally gratifying. Like what's your goal and then work backwards. And I can think of precious few sort of end goals where it would make sense to lead with the book. Could be wrong. That's my gut. I don't know. But I feel like I've, I, I just say this because I've, I've encountered some people, I guess, working, well, I majored in English and creative writing. So there were those writers who were like, I just write for the sake of my art. Well, that's fascinating. So, so I'm definitely talking nonfiction. Right. So for fiction, you're right. So exactly. So they're story. writing for the sake of their art. And Truth. so they don't really necessarily care whether or not Truth. like a bunch of people totally. buy it. So I'm like, you know, the, there are two ends of you know, the, the spectrum essentially yeah. where it's like, if I were to write a book, I would sure as hell want people to read it. Yeah. No, but you're absolutely it. right. If it's fiction, but, there's, I mean, you can write short stories, I guess, but there really yeah. is no substitute to just writing. Exactly. Hashtag truth. And there we go. All right. So these, this next one comes from Angela Sharina in the comments. Um, we are starting a line of alternate Alternative to junk, sexy health food products like keto, sugar-free, super delicious chocolate combined with personal branding. What would you? What would be your advice to approach the design and bringing it to market with a new product for first time? First time. Uh, the design of packaging. Yeah. First essential action steps. Ooh. Uh, the first essential action steps to designing the packaging. I want to be so, make sure that we're really clear about what we're This is your advice here. on approaching the design and bringing it to market. Okay. So obviously, first and foremost, make sure product. that your product is real, mm-hmm. that it's metabolically advantageous. 
After that, um, you want to identify who is my target market, who am I trying to sell this to, and then you need to make sure that your design is representative, not only of the ethos of your company, should hopefully give people the feeling that you want them to feel, um, but also in a way that they're gonna be receptive of. So I'll give you an example. If your target market is millennials and your product, like it, one of its core features is that it's natural and organic, um, you're gonna be in earth tones, hopefully your packaging is gonna be from like recycled material, that it's gonna have that vibe that it looks like it's from recycled material. Um, and so that will give all these subconscious cues that mm -hmm. it is what they're looking for. It got to the point where so many people were using a leaf to denote natural that if I'm not mistaken, like you can't put a leaf on packaging anymore um, <laughs> unless it actually is natural. Yeah. So it was like, there are a lot of subconscious cues that you can tap into. So really identifying who your market is and what the subconscious cues are that already exist. And then, and this is really important, how do you differentiate yourself? How do you stand out? And then here's something people really don't think about. Decide whether you're going online or whether you're ultimately gonna end up in stores because the design for packaging that works online is so different than the packaging that works in a store. Because um, when you're at the store, you're standing back, right? You're, let's say, six-ish yeah. feet from the, the display. There may be hundreds of other products like yours yeah. there, and you will get lost unless your name is really big and you have some sort of consistent color scheme. It doesn't have to be the same color, but it needs to be a consistent color scheme. So if you're like block colors, uh, primary colors, if you're stripes, like whatever that's gonna look like, it's something that you can see at a distance. Now online, you don't necessarily have to do that. You don't have to think of your product so much as a, like a unit, a family of products that need to look good together because people are looking at them one at a time. But I will say the consistency across your brand is incredibly important. So it can't feel schizophrenic. So you do have to think a bit more as a family of products. Um, but working backwards from your audience, who are you trying to sell to? What are the subconscious cues that they're familiar with? Uh, how many of those can you leverage? That really is the most important thing. And then don't be afraid to be wrong. So test it, try it out, show it to people, get feedback, and then adjust accordingly. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right. So this next question comes from Lauren from the Connect Inbox. I've heard you talk about using bright lines in your life. What are your bright lines that you live by daily? How do you incorporate those bright lines into your life? Did you just decide one day and just do it and just did it not, did it no matter what? Or was there some trial and error? Uh, first of all, I read it. And unfortunately, I can't remember where I read it. And I think someone even put it in the comments once. Um, <laughs> I don't remember where I read this. So, but it's definitely somebody else's concept. I, I took that, the words. Um, so it was one of those, as soon as I read it, I thought this makes a lot of sense to me because I am really good at all or nothing and I'm really bad at a little bit. So when they say, what was it, Lay's, you can't just eat one or Ruffles, you can't yeah. just eat one. I was like, that's aimed at me. I literally oh, cannot eat one. Is it Pringles? I think so. Once you pop, you can't stop. There's that as well. Totally <laughs> agree. So I, I fall prey to that in a big way. Like not doing something I'm fine with. Doing it a little bit is very hard. So reading it, I was like, okay, this makes, makes a sense. lot of sense to me. So I can be super binary about it. Um, and because I part of my identity is being disciplined, it was very easy for me to say, okay, I'm, I'm the type of person that... When I say these are the only calories I'm gonna eat, these are the only calories I'm gonna eat. Now, Brightline served me the most 
in really two things, the way that I use my um, time and energy for the business and food. Those are two things where it's just like the crushing sense of identity that I bring to those two things. Um, even when I'm like starving, <laughs> I don't allow myself additional calories. Um, and it's all because of that bright line thing. And practice is important, but I will say that this one more than its practice is derived from identity. And because I, identity is effective because it follows you even when no one is looking. Mm-hmm. And that's what really makes identity powerful. Because if it were, I can't have additional calories when other people are around, that's how people get into trouble where they're eating at night and they're yeah. like sneaking food. Mm-hmm. And well, if I eat it in my car and not at home, it's okay. And it's really fascinating the way that people like create these very bizarre rules for themselves. Like, like a second life. Yes. One thing that I find fascinating is like when people decide to um, cheat. And it's, well, I wasn't in my home state or I was, you know, traveling on business or like it was in a hotel room. As long as they're not in the same area. Right. It's like, wow. (laughs) So that's where things like that, bright lines are very effective, right? So it's just hard and fast. I don't do X, Y, and Z. And yeah, those I think are incredibly, incredibly important. And it's almost, doesn't it kind of fall in line with that like cookie jar concept where like every time you accomplish it, you kind of get to like put a little like, yeah. cookie in the jar and say, good job. Most me. definitely. Um, yeah. So maybe kind of, if you think of it that way too, along with just part of your identity and then also reward yourself for following through with mm. it, then you'll be able to actually turn it into a habit. No question. Yeah. All right. So this next, oh, so we've got a couple shout outs that have come in. So we've got Zanette Nicolas Zorzas from Greece. That's intense. Yasu. Bossy say. It's like, there's the Greek. A little bit of Greek for you. All right. So then Kayla Griffith from Canada and Brad Spann from Texas tuning in live. Here we go. What's up, everybody? All right. So this next question is from Nahomi Hernandez. Hi, Tom and Cindy. Thanks so much for all you do and for sharing genuinely. Thank you for listening, Jess. So, Tom, what is your strategy for news intake? How much time do you dedicate to it? And what time? Wait. What type of news outlets do you recommend? So I use Flipboard and it's only an in-between moment thing for me, to be honest. Uh, so the the vast majority of data that I intake is books. Um, mm-hmm. And I pick them very specifically based on my goals. So I think everybody in this feed certainly knows that I am on a mission to become one of the world's foremost experts on the microbiome. I'm ratcheting yes. up my claims here about where You're I'm doing headed. It. Uh, originally, it was just to help Lisa. Now I, I want to be a, a foremost expert. Um, but I really am excited to learn about that. So that's a big deal. So I'm reading as much as I can on that. Uh, so I will not only choose books that come highly recommended. And right now, I'm just working my way through. Naveen Jain gave me a list, and, and I'm just going through the list. Um, and so far, they've been exceptional books, very helpful. It has ended up um, having implications for my mom as well, who's had like thyroid problems. And so I awesome. never would have guessed um, that those would be tied. But nonetheless, uh, as you read about the microbiome, I promise you're going to keep encountering things about thyroid. Um, and then obviously mindset. I just read insatiably about mindset, about the brain, um, seeing where that's all going, where the neuroscience is going. Um, that's been very, very meaningful to keep my own thinking on the topics fresh. 
And then, so if I'm reading about the microbiome, I'll then go into Flipboard so that when I have a moment of downtime, if I'm standing in line or I'm waiting for something, um, then I'll pick up Flipboard and it's basically like a magazine that you curate. So I've got things obviously for the comic book industry, for the film industry, anything to do with the business of um, entertainment, like all of those things that are obviously very important for what we're doing in the studio. I've got stuff on the microbiome and health. Um, I've had for a very long time things to do with nutrition and diet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I add things and subtract things as we go and what's important yeah. and what really feels like it's matching my goals. And that's really it. it. It's books and Flipboard and podcasts. I do a lot of podcasts, but obviously I don't consider that reading. Um, but yeah, between those three things, which are highly curated based on the things that I'm trying to learn from my goals, and I just go deep, deep, deep on given topics. And I try to read in swarms. So when I'm on the microbiome tip, it's like all microbiome all the mm-hmm. time. I'm trying to get it from all angles. So I'm getting varied uh, views and opinions. Um, I'll follow people on my Instagram feed. I'll follow them on Twitter, on Facebook, like, so that no matter where I go, it's useful. Yeah, exactly. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you want to have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with ebay motors brake kits led headlights exhaust kits turbochargers bumpers whatever your baby needs ebay motors has it and with ebay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time or your money back plus at these prices you're burning rubber not cash keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply yeah, definitely. Um, in terms of news intake for me, I feel like I used to read the Daily Skim. It was like this email digest that comes to you and just kind of like 
gives you short, fun summaries of what's going on in the world. And then Morning Brew for like business news. Mm. It's also like one of those email newsletter things. But I realized that I feel like I just encounter it through like Twitter and like social and just following various outlets. Yeah. So those are some of the ones we recommend. (laughs) All right. So this next question comes from Corinne Davis. Hi, guys. Love you, as you know. She came to the um, Culver City Impact Hour. So super awesome. Great to see you again. Um, so she says, okay, so you get subscribers in the world of social and then what, how do you generate revenue from that? Uh, Quick and to the point. Well, let me <laughs> tell you how we're the wrong people to ask that question to. Um, you will notice we don't monetize anything that we're doing. Um, so I would highly suggest you go watch what, um, Lewis House is doing. Grant Cardone is doing Ty Lopez, like those guys, know how to monetize their following. Mm -hmm. Um, But I will say at a high level, I understand the concept and it goes something like this. You've got advertising. So if you have a podcast or something like that, you reach out to advertisers or brands, excuse me, um, and say, hey, I want you to advertise on my podcast. Obviously, make sure it's something that will bring value to your users because that's how you're going to bring value to the advertiser and you want Mm -hmm. them coming back. Um, So, But you reach out to them, you set a price. Uh, Usually it's based on the number of followers that you have. I am not the right person to ask sort of what the going rate is. Um, so I would get out there and I'm sure you can find up oh, agent Smith vid roll bid roll. We're going to get there eventually mid roll mid roll. <laughs> I've tried every like consonant other than the right one mid roll. All right. So uh, maybe agent Smith should do like a tutorial on this at some point. Nice. So according to Agent Smith, mid-roll will estimate what you can charge for your following. So there you have it. I'm guessing they look at engagement, numbers, and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I'll stop there just because this is way outside of my lane. I don't know anything about this really other than sort of at a really high level. Um, The only thing you can obviously sell in the long term is value. So finding a way to add value to your advertisers, to your community, it's the only way it is sustainable. And then courses. Courses is a big thing. Yes, courses are huge. All right, so this next question came in through the Connect inbox from Nick. He says, I love training, weight training, a lot of, um, and a lot of training for sports, squats and deadlifts, sled dragging, etc. I love training in jiu-jitsu. I have two daughters, and I learn every day to pass it on to them, really. But I've always been a person that really likes to focus on a few things and really kick butt at it. The weight training is easier to fit around my schedule. The jujitsu is a lot more challenging. And I train the grappling really to teach my girls as they get older. But not being able to go but one to two times per week slows down my momentum for grappling. I played college baseball and was really an all or nothing person. I don't like dabbling in stuff. Again, I like to go all in on stuff and have always done better when I only juggle a few things. How would you go about this? How solving this situation man that that's a pure personality thing so if you really don't like dabbling and you really want to create momentum in something then imagine yourself in the room with a thousand doors and your job is to shut 999 of them right so the the solution is in the question itself if you're not having fun and your only concern is being able to pass it on to your daughters then just where in your value system does that fall if you care more about that than you care about the weightlifting or something else that's Mm -hmm. going on in your life make it a priority and stick to it 
Um, alternately, if that's not the case, then don't. And I will just say that I don't think people should be, I don't think people should live for their children. Um, obviously you should make your children feel loved at all times. Um, but like my dad's obsession was cars. I hated cars. Um, we, we've come out okay. So (laughs) I, I, you know, I don't think that at the end of the day, I don't think that, that, People need to say whatever my kids need is like number one priority and I'm just going to yeah. do and do and do for them. I think that people really need to take care of themselves first, even parents. Um, so don't lose yourself to um, your daughters. If being in jujitsu is something that's really important and that they actually enjoy, then send them to jujitsu themselves. And you don't necessarily have to be um, doing it yourself. And conversely, again, if that's your highest value, then structure your day in such a way that you can do it. But there is a finite amount of time that we all have. Like you, I share that notion of, I don't want to be um, a dilettante. Like I don't want to go from thing to thing to thing. I really want to pick a few things and go hard on them. And when I think about just all the topics I want to read about, it is endlessly torturous to me that I can't read about everything that I want, that I can't become an expert in everything that I want. Um, So what I build my pride around is being able to identify what serves my goals and then pursuing that, period. And here's something I'm thinking more and more and more about, and people write into me about this all the time, and I'm just telling you right now, you just decide. So you just decide that the thing that's most important is jujitsu for the girls, right? You just decide. And there's going to be a hundred times in that process where you're like, this isn't right, this isn't right, this isn't right. And you just got to keep soldiering on until the point at which you realize, you know what? It's so not right that now I'm going to switch it back to I'm going to lift. And that's more important. Cool. Changing is not a problem. Mm -hmm. Like you've decided that's not it. Mm -hmm. Boom. Now I'm going to go over here. But um, in fact, I just, somebody highlighted this. I think it was in Ryan Holiday's new book, which full disclosure, I have not read. But when I saw this highlight, I thought it was really interesting. And his new book is called Perennial Seller. Very proud of myself for remembering that. Um, And what it's about is how do you, how do you create something that will last? Like not something that's sort of that momentary flash in the pan, but that will be selling 50 years, 100 years from now. And I think he's actually quoting somebody else in the part that I saw highlighted, but regardless. Um, The thing that destroys the most um, people that could potentially create a perennial seller is they try to do multiple things that have nothing to do with each other. And I cannot tell you, literally every day, and this is a confession to the team, almost every day, I think, is the... The studio, like, is that the answer? Because what I care about is pulling people out of the matrix, right? So is the studio the answer? Is the studio the answer? And it's like, I have to keep coming back to, there are other things that I want to try as well. And then I just remember, dude, focus is the answer. Staying on a path is the answer. And regardless of what you choose, pick one, go hard. Yeah, and... Going back to what you said, you could just as easily have your daughters take jujitsu or like taekwondo or karate or whatever kind of so that they can build those skills um, and see if they like it and then just figure out what you want to do. Yep. Yeah. All right. So if this feed is adding value to you guys, please make sure that you share it. We're always looking to grow. Um, It's a big part of our ethos here is building the community and then we also have a couple community events coming up nice let's hear about yeah so we've got impact hour in downtown la um august 16th so next week 
And then we have you and Lisa in London for a meet and greet yes. at Bar Soho. Both those events are um, on your page and then also in Eventbrite. Excellent. So RSVP. And Tom's coming to Impact Hour, by yes. the way. I, I made it happen. Nice. <laughs> I made sure it happened. There we go. Like, I'll yeah. see you guys there. So definitely come hang out with us. It's going to be fun. Really like that venue. Nice. All right. So this next question um, comes from Gabrielle Angel, Angel DeLilly, DeLilly. How do you make time to read all the books you consume and still get business done? So I have a very strict schedule that I keep to. So um, first of all, I go to bed at 9 p.m. I wake up when I wake up. Uh, sometimes that's as early as 2 a.m. So I'll give you a fantasy day, the days that I love and I cherish more than you can imagine, and then I'll give you a day where I feel rushed. Um, so this is what a day looks like when I have all the time in the world. So I think it was early this week. I woke up at 2 a.m. Yep. I had five hours of sleep. So I was like, yes, I hit my minimum. I get to get out of bed. This is going to be amazing. I went to the gym. Um, I spent about an hour in the gym, which takes us to like probably 320 by the time you factor like moving around, taking yeah. care of the Minucci's and all that. And then uh, meditate for probably about 20 minutes. So what's that take us to like 340, something like that. Uh, and then I think it that takes us to about 4 a.m. And then at 4 a.m., man, it's on it and I can start reading. So <laughs> then I, I literally read for at least an hour. I might push it, read for an hour and a half uh, because my day started so early and if it's really clicking, I might, it's rare that I read for much more than an hour and a half, if, if I'm honest, but I might let myself occasionally read. Nope, that doesn't feel right. I, I, it is it rare happen. that I read for more than an hour and a half. So let's say I read for about an hour and a half. Um, and then I start going, if I woke up that early, then I'll start doing things exploratory. Like I'll see what's going on in the world of comics. Who's doing something that's mm -hmm. exciting? Um, what's going on in entertainment news? What's happening that we might be able to leverage? Um, what on my important things list sounds like fun? Because I consider anything sort of before... 6 a.m. for yeah, sure to be say, a little bit like, like 6 a.m. to like yeah goal 10. oriented but still my time only till mm -hmm. eight at after eight it's contracts it's all that stuff okay but until from like six to eight if there's something fun that I can do that's on my important things it has to be on my important things list but if it's on my important things list and it seems like fun even if it might be like item four or five I'll still let myself do it till eight come eight it's like whatever's at the top of the list. And then I get into it. So that's a day where I've had an hour and a half to read without feeling like I'm at all impacting the business in a negative way. Now, keeping in mind that reading is important, ideas in equal ideas out, so it, I certainly don't feel yeah. guilty about it. But on a day where I wake up, let's say I slept terribly, I woke up in the middle of the night, I'm tossing and turning, so to get my minimum five hours sleep may take me to like 5 or 6 a.m., so then if I wake up at five, I'm still headed to the gym. If I wake up at six, I'm going to start truncating my workout. So, but if I wake up at five, I'll do a full workout. If I wake up at six, it's shortened. Um, and then I would go still through, I'd probably skip meditating if I'm honest. If I wake up mm -hmm. at six, no way, I'm not going to meditate. I'm not going to meditate or thinkitate. Um, I'll get a little yeah. bit of thinkitating done in the shower. I'll read, but I may only read for 20 minutes because by 8 a.m., no matter what, I'm at the top of my important things list. Mm. So that's how we do it. Are there days when I don't get to read at all? I Sure, if something really weird is going on. Yeah. But for the most part, I'm going to always be able to sneak in at least 20 minutes of reading. 
Um, that's sort of a, a bare minimum. And then, yeah, I mean, the rest of my day, I almost, almost all of my reading is done in the morning. But let's say that I've had a week where I haven't gotten a lot of reading in, like a lot of days I'm waking up late or I've got early morning stuff or whatever is messing that schedule up. Um, then I will really binge read on the weekend and try to make mm. up for it. But reading, it's important to me to denote reading for me is one of the most enjoyable and exciting things that I do. So that's not like, while I, I bucket it as work because it's mm -hmm. not fiction, it's all nonfiction, it's all stuff that's moving me towards my goals, that falls into the like, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life yeah. kind of thing. So I love to read. So when you love something, you're going to find time for it. That makes sense. But I think going to bed is actually the secret answer to all of this. Go to bed early. Go to bed. What's funny is that I saw that Instagram story of you like in the gym at like 2, 30 yeah, in the morning. So nice. And that <laughs> that night I had like fallen asleep, I think around like 1 or 1.30. So funny. And so I was just like, mm. <laughs> Yeah. That's so weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like, love those days. It's so funny how much... You couldn't have convinced me when I was in my 20s that I would ever love that. But I yeah. love that. I was like, maybe I'm still there. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, look, this stuff changes over time. And, right. And because I'm not waking, like, I used to sleep more. By the way, I have a suspicion that the, um, the Modius vestibular device is making me sleep more. Because they gave like, me the new one on Wednesday, uh -huh. right? And so I'm using it. And it's way more powerful than the first version that they yeah. gave me. Also bizarre how rapidly I've adjusted to it. So the first time I put it on, I was like, whoa. I, like this goes way beyond a glass of red wine into like I should not operate heavy machinery. Dude, I remember that. I actually have the, the video. Yes. But now it, it feels like it felt before. It's very subtle. So it's mm -hmm. interesting how okay. you adjust. But because its whole thing is supposedly that it's uh, making your, your brain think that it's very active – Yes. In order to reset the set point, I think my it body's going, you tired, man, you're right? so... Like, you're so tired. Yeah. That's my... It doesn't make me tired during the day, but it makes me sleep. Right. Like, very soundly. Yeah. Which, that that's off-label, so I don't know that that's true. It could be total, totally psychological coincidence, whatever. But the last two nights, I've slept more than I normally do. Interesting. Which, actually, for me, is not ideal, if I'm honest. I Why? prefer six hours, six hours, six hours. At six hours, I feel like a million bucks. Okay. A million bucks. Absolutely no fatigue. And I have all the time in the world to get things done. When I start sleeping like seven hours. Oh, you hit mm, like diminishing returns for yourself. For or, me, yes. Yeah. Because I want the time. If I could sleep zero and be cognitively optimized, I would for sure. Without question. <laughs> so yeah, that's. Well, brains don't work makes like that. Me angry. You're right. I'm angry that you're right, but you're right. Okay. Well, so this next question comes in from the comments from Marquise Perkins. Tom, I'm a new follower, and I've grown Welcome. to love your lectures because they are so powerful and compelling. You. Did you always know that you'd become a major enthusiast, or was it a specific life-changing experience that marked your destiny? What is a major enthusiast? I will... I don't know. So but like, I would say to... maybe like a... a Speaker. Did like I always know that I'd become a speaker? a powerful speaker, I've had a suspicion that this that would be a thing, thing for me for more than a decade. But I wouldn't say that I always knew that. So I, from the time I was 12, I thought I would be a filmmaker. Mm. And 
I knew that my, so I've been focusing on learning to communicate since I was in the seventh grade, like actively focusing on it. It was my thing when my sister was good at sports, I got into drama, speech, debate, like all that stuff. So that became my arena and then stand up comedy and all that. So um, that became my arena. So yes, I've known that it's a tool that I've been focusing on for a very long time and it is good to use the tools that you've developed. Otherwise, why are you developing them? Um, But no, it didn't become clear that this was an intelligible path to anything until um, I started Inside Quest. And that was when I realized, okay, the, the world has shifted so fundamentally. Social media has changed things to a degree I could not have predicted as a kid that it became something that was in line with my goals. You know me, I'm only going to do the things that serve my goals. And I probably was about two years late to the party, if I'm honest. Um, but that was when it sort of hit me that, wait a second, this actually is in alignment with my goals. Um, and so then I started doing it. But yeah, that, that's the truth. I'd been building the skill set without realizing how it would manifest mm-hmm. as me on stage and that that would somehow be valuable to my skills. So I didn't do it until it fell in alignment. And that also goes back to the whole point of skill acquisition is you never really know when you'll need it. But if you're interested in it, you should learn it. You know, that's interesting. So you're going to hear me Early give on. a mix of two things. So yes, you should encounter a lot of right, things in the I'm beginning. Like, especially when you're young. You know, there are skills that I never thought I would use and I feel like I'm using them here. Yeah, you you do. <laughs> you have to hit a whole broad spectrum of yeah. stuff to find out what you really enjoy, for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, Word. that's it. <laughs> that's it. There it is. That's Drop it. the mic. There it is. Okay, so this next question comes from An Cow Fi Doan. Love the show. All fantastic values that Impact Theory team are putting out. Smile. I have the question <laughs> regarding um, advice slash mindset to choose. How do you know which advice or mindset that you should follow and which ones you should avoid? Um, in other words, sometimes I hear some gurus advise this way, this way, while some others advise the other way. How can I know which one I should follow? So I guess conflicting viewpoints. Who to follow? Who to listen to? Yeah. Ooh. Uh, so at the end of the day, you should be doing whatever is moving you towards your goals. The question is, how do you begin to identify that early? So I would say a baseline is if somebody is talking about anything other than being empathetic, compassionate, self-empowering, um, doing things that make you feel alive, like finding a way to really express your true potential, make the world a better place. Like anything that deviates from that, like every alarm bell I have goes off because those are going to be the things that make you feel in alignment with what I think is just the innate human condition, right? There's just certain that we are a tribe animal. We want to contribute to the group. We want to feel good about ourselves. We need self-esteem. We need to, I believe, push ourselves to really see how much we can make of our own potential. And I believe the very meaning of life is to find out how many skills you can acquire that have utility, right? And, and put that utility to the test in service mm-hmm. of something larger than yourself. So hiding in that to me are like the fundamentals of the human condition. We are the ultimate adaptation machine. So to fail to really exercise that potential to me is just a waste of a human life. So like, but all of those things are my attempt to get at the things that are actually going to help you feel fulfilled, the things that are actually going to help you be proud of yourself and live a life that is neurochemically rewarding so that you'll actually enjoy this journey and this process and all of that. So 
that, I mean, I've never thought about this before, but that's my answer. Like the things that make you feel most alive, feel good or helping others like beyond that, like then it's flavors, right? So I'll throw out some people that I think are doing amazing stuff and we don't agree on everything and I don't think you can go wrong. So um, Gary Vee, I think is the fucking man. Tony Robbins is the man. Lewis Howes, the man. Like there are a bunch of people out there Jim Quick, the man. Like, there are a bunch of people out there talking about amazing shit. It's crazy empowering. Like, are all of us different flavors? Yes. Do I think that you could go wrong with any of those people and 150 other people? Um, no. I think the, the flavor becomes irrelevant. Which one do you respond to? Are there people out there that I think are doing, like, dicey shit? Yes. So... And that's part of the human animal. Yeah. That's the truth. <laughs> so this next question comes from Dan Morrell. Um, what do you think is the most important factor when motivating a team? I want to so I want so badly for my team to win, but I struggle in motivating them to want to win for themselves. Oh God, what an awesome ah. question. This is so big, and you want to talk about flavors. Like this is man, there's there is a right answer. I was going to say there's no right answer. <laughs> there's no right flavor, but there are right answers. Okay, so it goes something like this. First and foremost, your culture matters. Now, why do I say that? Because there are so many different cultures and people will take the flavor of that culture. So I've given my fruit salad example before. So the fruit salad example goes like this. I get very angry at fruit salads because I love watermelon. I love grapes. I love strawberries. I hate melon. I hate cantaloupe. I hate pineapple. Now, when you put you them all pineapple? together, hate with ah, like a ferocity I that I can't explain. So again, it's no right or wrong. Right. It just is. Mm -hmm. So I don't want that stuff mixed. Now, when people come into your group, they're going to take the flavor of that group, I promise you. So make sure that you're very careful about what you build into your culture so that when people take on that flavor, that it's empowering, that it's positive. Um, and quite frankly, a lesson I've learned the hard way that there's one culture and not multiple cultures where it becomes schizophrenic. So like a fruit salad. So you wanna make sure that your culture, then you hire for people that are going to fit that. Doesn't mean that the people that don't fit that culture are bad people. They're just a different flavor. Mm -hmm. So be very careful. Bring people into the culture that are going to make it a better place to work. Like the one cardinal sin, I will say, if you come into impact theory, like the moment you're going to find that we just have to go our separate ways is the day you're now making this a worse place to be. Okay, doesn't mean you're not brilliant at your job. It just means you are making this a worse place to be. That's not okay. So that'll forever be the guiding light that we have here. So it isn't that you're amazing. It isn't that you bring the company more money. You may be both of those things. You may be the highest revenue generating employee that we have. You may be the most talented at your position. But if you aren't making this a better place to be, can't have you. So now the real thing that you ask is you can't seem to motivate people to want it for themselves. I'll quote Naveen Jain here. Don't worry about leading a horse to water and getting them to drink. Make them thirsty. So you can't 
want it for other people. It's a very frustrating thing. I'm sure there are many people in your life that you care deeply about, you may even love, and they just don't seem to want anything for themselves. You can't do that. I wouldn't waste your time with that. Think of yourself as a filtering mechanism. Your job in bringing people into the culture of your company is to find people that resonate with that, that have excitability, that get what you're about, that get your methods like. For instance, if you don't want to be pushed to your absolute limits, impact theory is not the place for you. Because that to me is absolutely central to who I am and what I want. I want to be pushed. I want to be around people that are pushing me to be a better version of myself. So if I'm in here and I'm always having to drive the energy, I'm always having to push people, then nobody's pushing me and that's not interesting to me. So I want to make sure that I'm surrounded by people that want something as badly as I want it, that are willing to push themselves as hard as I'm willing to push myself, that don't look at me like I'm a fucking crazy man when I start pushing them. So... It all comes down to what do you want to create and have you found the right people that are going to resonate within that? And my guess is if you're not able to get people enthusiastic, either your culture isn't as coherent as you think it is, your message actually isn't motivating, which is possible, um, or you've hired the wrong people. Any one of those could be true. Maybe right. all, maybe a mix. Yeah. But you can change it any time. So. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's beauty of culture. It's very fluid and it does, um, you know, it is contingent on the people that are within it. No question. Like, yeah. All right, so this next question comes from Alex Biles. What's your favorite scene from The Matrix? Ooh, uh, very easy. Actually, that's interesting. See? <laughs> my brain is like, your brain's no, 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 like, no, wait, that you. wasn't. Mm. Um, my favorite moment, and it gets me every time, is when he sort of resurrects himself at the end. He's been shot. He's mm -hmm. dead on the ground. Spoiler alert. Uh, he's been shot. He's dead on the ground. <laughs> and yes, but still. And they shoot more bullets at him and he just raises his hand and says no. Like really calmly. That yeah. was always the thing that I loved about it. And the bullets just stop. And he picks one out of the air and then the agents realize we're fucked. Uh, I love that. And then I love the scene with the Oracle. And mm. what I love is when she goes, don't worry about the vase. And he goes, what vase? And because of that, he bumps it. It falls on the floor and shatters. And he's like, I'm so sorry. And she goes, don't worry about it. But what's really going to bake your noodle later is when you wonder if you would have knocked it off if I hadn't said anything. And that's when I was like, I have the chills now. That's when I was like. The motherfucking Wachowskis, man. Like, yeah. they know what's up. Like, they've thought through this so far. Because that's exactly what I thought when he knocked it over. Well, would he have knocked it over, though, if you hadn't said anything? So when the Oracle actually says that... That's why like, she's the Oracle. Yeah, 100%. Oh, this my God. This my jam. So... Yeah. Uh, you're right. That was an awesome question. So thank you guys. All right. All right thank we are you. out of time. Sort of. Actually, I'll just tell you the truth. We lost internet. And so no internet. we're wrapping up now. Sadly, <laughs> much to our dismay. But thank you guys so much for joining us. And if this has brought you value, please do share it. That's how we build yes. this community, which is so important to us. Will help us achieve our goals, uh, which are legion. So yes. guys, thank you so much for being a part and of the community sure. and for engaging. And make sure that you check out some of our community events. And if you're in the Toronto, Berlin, Chicago, Seattle, or London areas, nice. we now have impactivist clubs that you guys can be a part of. Boom. Love it. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. This is a weekly show. So if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Bye, guys. 
everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.